Thank you for Treason by Godfrey Trees, read by Amy Zuck on Anchor from Grandma's Bookshelf. Chapter 5 Someone Was Watching We never got to Kendall that night. We took a wrong turning in the dark and wasted an hour getting back on the proper road. A wheel came off on the other wagon, and as it was in front and the road just there been very narrow, we all had to wait till the damage was repaired. Finally, as it was a warm night, the company decided to camp where they were till daylight, thus saving the expense at the inn. They would still arrive at the Kendall in time for the afternoon performance. I knew nothing of this till afterwards. I woke to hear a great discussion going on nearby. I realized at once that the wagon would stop. "'Don't be a fool, William,' the motherly woman was saying. "'I tell you there's something inside there, Jane.' The fat man sounded pathetic like a frightened child. "'Of course there's something inside.' "'Something that moved and made a noise.' "'It's that play going on in your mind. "'I always said there was too many ghosts in Richard the Third. "'Listen, Jane, now that isn't fancy.' "'I couldn't stand the chest any longer. "'Luckily, it was a roughly made thing of boards bound with iron, "'and some air got through the cracks, "'otherwise I should have suffocated hours before. "'I tried now to push open the lid, "'but I was so cramped and weak that I could hardly move it. Suddenly the lid was lifted and there was a gasp of amazement, and there in the yellow lantern light was a plump woman's face hanging over me like a harvest moon. Well, I'll be hanged! Come here, William! See what the fairies have left us! Without waiting for her husband, she slipped a massive arm under my shoulders and raised me till I was sitting up like a sick baby in its cot. Don't stand there gaping, all of you, she shouted over her shoulder at the others clustering around. Get me some of that water, quick, and a bowl of stew. And, William, just a thimbleful of that wine, if you can spare it. In five minutes, sitting beside a cheerful fire in the grass, I was myself again. I started to stammer explanations and apologies, but William Desmond cut me short with a grand gesture. Not a word, boy, not a word. Least said, soonest mended. We met you on the Kendall Road. We cannot remember ever having seen you before. You have an honest look. Naturally does not occur to us to associate you with that youthful criminal in Penrith. No one can ever accuse my company of knowingly harbouring a fugitive from justice. They can accuse us, interjected his wife bluntly, but they can't prove it. So I turned to my supper again and cleaned up a second bowl of the excellent stew. I was still terribly tired, but I had a wonderful feeling of relief. They were all so kind, not only Mr. and Mrs. Desmond, but the others sitting around the fire. I felt like I had reached safety. I looked round at the scene over the rim of my bowl. I didn't know quite where we were, for I had never travelled so far from home, but the moonlight showed me the low ridges of the moor on either side of the road, while a hint of the higher fells on the westward. Our wagons were drawn up in a dip, with a beck come rippling across the road. The horses were tethered a few paces away, finding what feed they could among the rough moor grasses. Safety? Not seem so in that warm circle of fl- fire glow. "'but I couldn't help wondering. "'When you're used to being alone on the fells, "'I think you get very sensitive to the presence of other people. "'You feel it particularly when you're being watched. "'I got a queer feeling as I sat by the fire "'that we were being watched. "'I didn't mean that just I was, but the whole troupe. "'Of course, the actors were watching me as I finished my supper, "'and I expected they were wondering all sorts of things about me. "'But I don't count the straightforward look of a friendly stranger.' Who has just met you. No, it was as though someone was watching us secretly, from outside the circle of the fire. Someone crouching in the tall, dew-wet bracken, 
watching with two bright eyes that fairly bowled the darkness. It was a queer fancy, but there was nothing I could do about it. You could have hidden an army in those rustling acres of bracken, so there was little enough chance of finding one man. I shivered, but that was only the chilliness which comes from lack of sleep. William Desmond suddenly burst out after studying me in silence for a couple of minutes. Can you sing, boy? I started. I felt quite unlike singing just then, but I was prepared to do my best if required to earn my supper. Tomorrow, he explained rapidly, we're doing the two gentlemen of Verona. There's a song, an exquisite song. We always have it sung by a page boy. But have we a page boy in the company who can sing a note? He looked around them all defiantly, but no one spoke. George's voice is like a broken pot. Young Francis, who could sing like an angel, ran away and left us in Lancaster. Frightened, miserable little puppy of these mountains. We're left so short-handed, there's scarcely a play we can put on if there's more than just two female characters in it. He turned to me again. Could you learn this song and sing it for us? Nothing else to do at it. He began to sing softly but richly. Who is Sylvia? Where is she? That all the swains commend her. It seemed an easy song, with only two short verses. I promised to do my best. I was glad to make some return, even if it was so small, for the kindness these actors had shown me. The important thing now was to get some sleep, so I curled myself up in a great roll of tapestry in the wagon and went off so soundly that I never woke when they harnessed the horses at dawn and moved on again. When I did open my eyes, the sun was up and the morning was full of bird calls. I raised myself on my elbow and looked over this wagon side. We were still moving between the ridges of the moorland, but I guessed we were not far from our destination. I could see the broad backs of Mr. and Mrs. Desmond. He was driving the wagon. Most of the company were walking along in twos or threes. Ha! There were black figures suddenly in the scraggy grass skyland on the left, men waving their arms, horses with manes and tails streaming darkly against the dazzling gold of the morning. Ha! There! Stop! The cry came thinly down, as the cries do in the mountain air. There were four men I could see, as I peeped cautiously over the wagon side. Drive on, said Mrs. Desmond to her husband, very tensely. The wagon had never stopped, anyhow. We rumbled on. I'll drop off, I began, and run up the other. You do no such sort of thing, she said, without turning her head. Lie where you are, pull some things over you, and don't make a sound. I did as she told me. There was no arguing with Mrs. Desmond, as I was beginning to learn. I couldn't get into my coffin again, because it was in the other wagon, but I hid myself as best as I could among the other baggage. My last glimpse of the horsemen showed them galloping aslant the hill to cut us off at the next bend. We hadn't a dog's chance of distancing them. Sure enough, it was barely two minutes before I heard the clatter of the horse in front and the whine of our wheels as we came to a standstill. "'What's this?' Desmond shouted in his lordliest manner. "'What overdoing Kendall as it is? What do you mean by?' His voice faded. He had jumped down from the driver's seat and was walking up the road. I could hear the voices of the strangers, but I couldn't make out a word. Then I heard footsteps coming back. Desmond was grumbling. "'My dear sir, I assure you, I should prefer to have a look all the same.' "'Do you doubt my word, sir?' stormed the actor. "'Not at all, not at all. "'But the back of your wagon is open. "'Someone might have crept in without your knowing. "'I wished I had run for it. "'It was too late now. "'I knew that in a stand-up fight my new friends "'would have been more than a match for the four strangers, "'but it would have been unfair to let it come to that. 
I could not let them all go to jail for me. And that was what would have meant in the long run, since no jury would have believed the word of vagabond actors against that of the local gentry. If they discovered me now, and only a miracle could prevent it, I should swear that I had hidden myself in the wagon without anyone's knowledge. Very well, said Desmond suddenly, as if weary of the argument. Look, if you want to. I didn't know what else he could have done, but I must admit that I felt a pang of disappointment in him. I heard a man spring into the tail of the wagon. There is someone hiding in here, he burst out in triumph, and instantly dragged me out. Even I was taken aback by the suddenness with which his hand fell on my shoulder. But it's only a boy, said the older man, looking at me with disgust. Of course, said Mrs. Desmond, without a second's hesitation. It's that idle young scallywag, Sammy, always hiding and ha going to sleep to dodge the work. Hop out, you little devil, her husband ordered me. Do a little walking for a change. I hopped out obediently, and the four strangers never gave me another glance. They went along to the other wagon, but of course they found no one there. They remounted, and I must say they apologized for the trouble they had given us before cantering off down the road again. Desmond called after them. If we do see the lady, we'll send word to the hall. What was all that about? I asked eagerly as I swung myself into the wagon again. The actor laughed. They were searching for a young lady. She ran away from home last night. Some family trouble, I expect. Of course, they wouldn't tell us their private affairs. Oh, eloped, probably, said his wife sentimentally. She had seen so many romantic Italian comedies, had Jane Desmond, that she could never think of love without going as sloppy as porridge. It was the only thing wrong with her, to my mind. She was a kindly, great-hearted woman, and after knowing her a week or two, I would have fought to the death for her as I would have for my own mother. I didn't worry my head about the incident any more. We were coming down from the hills now, and Kendall lay before us in the rich green bowl of the valley. In an hour or two I should be making a real appearance on the public stage. I ran through my song several times to make sure I had it by heart. We set up our stage in the yard of the inn. It was a poor pitch compared to the one at Penrith, and the inn rooms were so inconveniently placed that most of us had to dress in the wagons. Mrs. Desmond told me I could sleep in the wagon that night if I liked, and I accepted gratefully. My future was still uncertain, and I was glad to have to save the cost of a night's lodging. Well, there wasn't much to tell about the rest of that day. Nothing out of the ordinary happened. I didn't have stage fright or anything funny. I walked out with the others when they told me, wearing a vivid yellow doublet, which rather tight across the shoulders, and when the music started, I sang my song. People clapped... Not a lot, but enough to make me feel quite pleased. And Mrs. Desmond gave me a great slap on the back when I came off. My doublet thereupon split with a swishing noise, and she cursed like a crater, but <laughs> quite cheerfully, as she rummaged for needle and thread. Lucky you don't have to go on again, she said, pricking me between the shoulder braids. What do you think of the play? Very nice, I said politely. I'm glad young Shakespeare's turning to comedy instead of those noisy... Histories with a battle every ten minutes, an execution or two between to keep up the interest. There's enough tragedy in real life, I say, so give the public something light, like the two gentlemen. As for tragedy, they might as well stop trying to write it. Now poor Kit Marlowe's gone. Who was he? Well, the best of the bunch. You should have seen his Dr. Faustus. We still do it sometimes, you know. All his Jew of Malta. Oh, the plays he wrote. He was no older than this young man from... Warwickshire. But what's Shakespeare done are likely to compare with him? What happened to Mr. Marlowe? I asked. Stabbed to death, she answered in, with a sigh. 
<sighs> we never heard the whole truth of it, and I doubt we ever shall. But there, let's change the subject. You've a nice voice, Peter. Weren't you nervous at the thought of all those people watching you? Oh, no, I said, and it was true. I hadn't minded about the people in the yard. Only once, as I sang the last verse, I suddenly had that same queer feeling of someone watching me. Not the frank open stare of the crowd, but the intense gaze of someone watching from a hidden place. Of course, that was all so fanciful that I couldn't possibly explain it to her, so I said nothing. I soon forgot all about it. We had a jolly evening after the performance, for the actors, having saved their night's lodging by camping on the road, were determined to make up for it and spent the money on the better supper than usual. They all congratulated me on my tiny part of the show, and Desmond said, "'Why not stay with us for a bit, Peter? There's only a month or two, but we'll work our way back to London before winter sets in. Then goodness knows what'll happen to us all, but why worry now?' "'Who's worrying now?' Not a bad motto, I thought to myself. I accepted the offer. As I fell asleep that night, on my bed of baggage, I murmured happily, I'm going to London. I've got work. I'm an actor. It was an exciting thought, but no amount of excitement would have kept me awake that night. I slept soundly till nearly dawn when, I suppose, some noise startled me, for I sat bolt upright, blinking round in the grey light, and at once that I was no longer alone in the wagon. If I had doubted that for a moment, the doubt would have soon been settled. Before I could even turn my head, a voice spoke softly but emphatically in my right ear. If you make a sound, I'll stick this knife in you.